I've talked to uh, and had the unfortunate and fortunate um, thing happen throughout my life of uh, having to deal with uh, religious people. And it can be a very, very um, frustrating conversation talking with uh, religious people sometimes. Um, some who are so devout in their religion that if you don't believe and do exactly as they think, then it just becomes something where that becomes a problem. It becomes a barrier, a, a, a in a literal sense, a just a reason for them not to like you. You know, so they could, and it's it's kind of funny. I mean, here's a for instance. There's a guy named Greg over at um, Starbucks that would come in there. Fortunately, he quit came coming there about uh, a, a year before I ended up taking off. And uh, inevitably, it's just like I call myself Q for a reason. Yes, I I do believe in I do have um, different uh, religious philosophies. You know that I created my universe and that there's a multiverse out there and there's something called omniverse. And the omniverse is the sum multi the sum of all possibilities of existence that could ever exist, um, and I do believe that it's uh, it's not possible to actually quantify and uh, go through and, um, <laughs> if anything, understand fully what the omniverse is. Um, if it is, then I mean it's one of those things that I I don't think it's possible from my individual perspective and everything, but I also can't say um, anything that there is any well. That, for me, is one impossibility. Um, I mean, if something is capable of understanding more than that, you know, then I don't think it's possible. Flat out just don't think it's possible. So, in any case, um, when it comes down to religious belief and religious philosophy and everything, um, with that in mind and everything, me and Greg, we, we just didn't see eye to eye, you know, particularly he's a, you know, Bible-thumping Christian that, uh, that, believes um, in his own interpretation of the Bible that he re reads religiously, and he asked me if I had ever read the Bible, and I'm just like, yeah, I read it cover to cover twice, as a matter of fact. You know, and he's one of the few people that I do respect that he actually has read the text that he believes in and everything. Most people that actually are Christian, um, in my opinion, have not actually walked the walk and actually uh, read the Bible for themselves. They might go through Bible study programs, um, but those are still actually a leveraging interpretation. They've actually never sat down and read the thing cover to cover. Now, I don't consider this hip hypocrisy. I just consider this more a, a perspective that, uh, that basically says, hey, my beliefs and everything um, that I'm claiming to believe may not be important, um, as important as I claim they are. And and or there's something else at work and everything. There, there's always that possibility there, too. However, in any case, uh, Greg and I, we would just never see eye to eye and everything. He got confrontational with me on more than one occasion, you know, and uh, I, I had to laugh at the dude. You know, it was just one of those things that it was just to the point of being fucking obnoxious and everything. But um, in any case, um, what I'm finding out is, uh, you know, when I ended up reading the Bible for the first time, um, it really, a lot of it didn't make sense. And the second time that I read it was actually starting in a place called Tegucigalpa over in Mexico. And uh, I was actually hitchhiking down south of the border. I'd gone from Tijuana all the way to, um, all the way through basically pretty much every place. Mazatlan, um, 
I went to uh, Mexico City, um, kept going south from there to, uh, uh, what was it, a uh, place that I liked a lot. Um, I like the feel of Oaxaca. Um, it's kind of like a nestled town in the uh, in the middle of Mexico and everything that probably no Americans ever go to and everything. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed the feel of it there and everything. It was ghetto, absolutely ghetto for parts of it, but I still had a good feeling about the place and everything. Mexico holds a place in my heart. You know, it's one of those places that I actually, because of the rugged ruralness and everything and the somewhat agrarian uh, lifestyle that people have and everything, I... I actually, for me, it's refreshing to spend time south of the border. It feels like I'm going back in time in our own reality and everything. So, in any case, um, the second time when I ended up reading the Bible, I think my mind was like more prepared for it, and I started asking myself the questions, what does this mean to me? You know, and uh, for me, it's like a, it's a pretty you know deep question or everything to ask. What does something specifically mean to you? Particularly a text that's so, you know, what what you know what what could be considered profound. And for me, what I ended up seeing as I read it and everything, I, and I actively asked that asked that question of myself. Um, the one thing I kept realizing over and over again is this is a detailed plan on how to actually build a matrix, um, a first version of it in a literal sense. Um, it's a detailed uh, methodology, you know, to formulate a strategy for actually creating a world um, in, in as much as it's a program. And uh, with that program, it, it has two basic professions that are associated with it, at the very least, the doctor and the lawyer. But besides that, um, it's, it's also one of those ones that it has peaks and pokes and memories and memory and that kind of stuff. And uh, what I realized was my interpretation of it is it's it's just, it's a text that kind of surprised me once I actually read it to the point of stop stopping trying to invalidate it, but instead basically started taking a look at it from, hey, you know, what? why do other people find meaning to, in it? And rather than trying to find their meaning in it, just finding my own meaning in it. And I did. I found it. I found a, a system and a reason for a rule of laws, uh, or for, you know, for laws altogether. I found um, a methodology for, you know, for believing in magic. And uh, the whole concept of, you know, of, um, of what, what actually makes magic possible and everything. Um, I got a concept and idea about what happened in what I consider to be the first iteration of planet Earth. Um, believing that this isn't the iteration that's actually ever happened and everything in, in a matrixy kind of way. Um, I came down to the belief of understanding that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and uh, the explosion of, uh, of Earth and everything was, um, was something that actually did happen. And um, that pretty much everything listed on media and everything um, has been something that's happened. And I, and I got a real sense that this is a history, not the history of the, this planet, but a history of this planet. And it does have a profound impact because it's, it's actually guided a lot of people that resisted, um, resisted, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, that I actually found that I enjoyed to some degree with the exception of people like Greg and everything, and even people like Greg still had something to contribute. I mean, the guy 
took care of himself. You know, he was, you know, when it came down to it, the guy knew um, knew how his image was perceived by others um, from a physical perspective. But when it come, came down to an intellectual perspective and everything, guy was fucking bonkers. You know, so when it came down to it, you know, that's actually the benefit that I've actually seen in the Bible is, you know, the the society that I know that I've come to love and everything that I've come to enjoy, um, in no small part has benefited from the contribution of, of Christianity and from religion altogether. You know, so once I actually started really, you know, embarking down this, this thought process and everything, and somebody had written notes in the uh, Bible that I'd gotten from um, a pastor down in Tegucigalpa who let me actually stay in the, uh, in the uh, church for two days <clears throat> and uh, had some people help me out there, too. Um, it, this didn't sell me, you know, on Christianity, because I'm not Christian, you know, I do believe in the, uh, in the idea of a, a Christian-based God, but I do believe that Christian-based God is me, you know, so, and, uh, when it comes down to it, I had felt spiritual my entire life, you know, um, and I'd been looking for, you know, for Allah, Buddha, um, various different incarnations of this being, you know, of, of capability, of possibilities and everything, never really taking into consideration that that being was me, for me, I was just nothing more than a small, a small pea in a, in a big, or a small tadpole in a big, huge pond, and that pond, you know, seemed to go infinitely, you know, but then all of a sudden, once I actually read this Bible, I'm just like, wait a second, the concept of the Matrix isn't scary now, you know, the concept of the Matrix is, is nothing more than a formation of reality and everything that's based on the way I perceive the world and everything, not only that, but holy shit, Neo has the capability to fly. I look at all these superheroes and everything on TV, and well, sure, there's a Thanos that can instantly destroy somebody. How is it I isolate myself from somebody like that and make it so where somebody like that doesn't come into my universe and basically shred it in, in half and, and kill 50% of people on it? Well, the answer is really simple. You know, isolate them. In the same way that I isolated myself, this, the simple answer to that question is, isolate these other things and entities in thought. The things that I don't want happening here and everything become become a product of fiction. You know, so that's actually what ended up, um, you know, what I ended up reading the Bible. I'm just like going, okay, you know, all these all these things and everything, you know, the John 3.15 or whatever it is, you know, that are actually in baseball and that kind of stuff, these, these aren't there. Um, and this is actually a thing I really had to get over and everything. Um, a lot of these messages and everything aren't there to manipulate. They're there to remind. And in, in specifically to remind me, you know, of who, who I am when I want to be who I am. Other than that, when I don't want to be who I am, it's kind of like my basic, my way of saying, okay, you know, I'm going to disassociate myself from this as much as possible until I actually find out who I want to be. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And the funny thing was, I've dealt with this in my entire life. Peer pressure and the stuff that I've gone through and everything. I've had some fantastic experiences in my life. You know, and those experiences aren't done. You know, growing up and, you know, having a dad that uh, I, I often did question whether or not he cared, but I knew he did, you know, by what he did and what he provided and everything. You know, all the way to um, all the way to the different possibilities that that were offered. You know, motorcycle riding to um, 
you know, that uh, he introduced me to and everything, to a little bit of partying that he inadvertently introduced me to, all the way to um, friends and sex and relationships and that kind of stuff. All of it, things that I actually genuinely found myself enjoying and everything. But it wasn't perfect. There were some things that were actually problematic in my life. You know, for instance, the one man, one woman thing. Um, I didn't like that concept and everything. It just didn't jive for me. It never really has. You know, that feels like ownership. And to me, to some degree, the idea of ownership of something or someone else and everything, um, particularly someone that thinks like me, you know, um, just doesn't feel right. You know, so when it came down to it, it's just like um, I wasn't uh, that I rebelled against notions, binary notions of uh, of right and wrong, of um, not right and wrong, but of um, of relationships, of contractually based relationships and everything. And um, you know, I mean, I understand that's, that uh, part of that uh, is there um, is you know to basically create this experience, and not necessarily to create it for me, but to create you know the the what I observe in others in others. And and this is something that I really I had to grow up and and away from, and just basically start understanding that. Um, as I reached a certain point in um, self-awareness and everything, I started realizing that the, thing, the things that applied to me that I'd always assumed applied to, or applied to everybody else, that I'd always assumed applied to me as well, I'd been finding that uh, that hadn't been ever been true. You know, such as the concept of life and death. You know, I don't die. Flat out don't die. You know, I go through a process of, of kind of like washing my mind you know, of washing and rinsing and recycling, you know, um, and it's something I put myself through, you know, so I'm not, you know, I, to, to tell you what stage I'm in and, and uh, to where, where I'm at in a binary perspective, I can't, you know, and that's part of, part of actually what keeps the universe alive, because if I could be isolated down to a single binary perspective and everything, well, Houston, we're going to have a problem. The universe will disappear, and as a result, it'll all become a contradiction. That contradiction will actually find itself trying to resolve itself, and as a result, ultimately, we'll actually come to find ourselves back in existence and everything. That's the ironic part about life and everything. It can't help but be here. You know, so even if you actually do try to reduce consciousness into the mind and the mind to a single-celled organism into a single-celled form and everything, you've got to understand that that single-celled form, you know, is nothing more than a reflection of yourself in the mirror. And, you know, to some degree, by doing that, what, what happens is it creates this, this contradiction that you yourself as an intellectual individual have no capability of being able to resolve rationally. You know, and uh, to some degree, you know, that rationality that we all have, you know, um, it, it's something that's hard to, hard to dismiss, hard to avoid and everything. You know, in my, in my, so in my opinion, and this is an opinion, it is impossible to negate, negate, negate existence. For the same reason it's impossible to actually have absolutely nothing, or to, to know everything. And when I'm talking about everything, I mean fucking everything. <laughs> You know, just because, um, you know, the universe keeps on going and going and going, um, it forgets things, it remembers things, and knowing fucking everything, you know, um, it just, in my opinion, um, while, quite frankly, um, do I think it's possible? If I'm to actually to analyze this from a numerical perspective and everything, that numerical perspective would be so remote. It would be 99.9 with a, a trillion bazillion nines behind it. I don't think it's ever possible to know everything. 
However, because I doubt I have, I live with Nietzsche's philosophy of doubt everything, do I think that it, in a very extremely impossibly remote sense, that it's possible to know everything? Yeah. I do. Um, but don't quote me on that. So, the Bible, to me, you know, is, is not necessarily my religious text. It's a historical text that puts things into perspective and everything and actually demonstrates to me um, some causality. You know, what, uh, what, was, uh, what affected this planet and everything, to some degree, the big important part for me was to um, understand what influenced the moral and social, the social networking and everything dependency that we have on each other to some degree. You know, to be able to um, self-medicate, A, and uh, B, to, uh, to disassociate ourselves from the rules that we make. You know, so when it comes down to it, um, the Bible's, in my opinion, I, I'm, while I still think it's one of those things that's very, very difficult to read and everything, um, it is an interpretation no matter who, you know, who provides that interpretation. So when you go to a Bible study or something like that, if you ever do, which I probably will someday, you know, um, it's an interpretation I'm receiving, and, I, and I'd be fascinated by other, I mean, I, I can imagine that there will come a future in everything where I will be fascinated by other people's perception and, and uh, interpretation in the Bible. Um, right now, I'm not, because most people that use the Bible use it as a weapon, and um, yeah, that, for me, just doesn't jive. You know, so for me, you know, I look at it as just basically it's it's a historical text. It's a utilitarian measure and everything that's actually helped uh, create my reality and everything and put me in the position that I'm in of self self awareness to actually understand that I actually created this reality and everything. And that that book is an external peek into my own mind and how my own mind works from a disassociated perspective and everything. And the separate numbers and everything that are written in it. Um, are like peaks and pokes in a memory if you're actually a basic programmer. It's a programmed thing that actually is responsible to some degree to be able to provide a glimpse into um, how my mind worked at one time to be able to create this thing called reality. Now, and the reason I'm saying all this is there, there's also one other thing that I got out of the Bible. <coughs> and I'm sorry, I'm not a Bible thumper, you know, so let's be clear about this. I'm, I'm talking about the Bible as a historical text, as a, as a framework, as a referential thing that actually contributed to this reality. And, and keep in mind that parallel to that reality, that thread, if you will, um, at the same time and in a, in a different position in space, there was different frameworks that were actually evolving until they all collided to create this thing called reality and everything. So when, when somebody basically tries to tell me that Adam and Eve is a solitary path that actually led to the existence of this planet and everything, I call bullshit on it. You know, um, the reason for it is that's one timeline. That's a historical timeline, and that's one history. And the reason I call bullshit is if you're trying to say that's the only path, I'm sorry, you know, that, that may be your only path, but not, that's not the only path. That's one of many different paths that actually took to create this thing that I call reality. And there's different contributions and everything to it, and I can't help but see those contributions indirectly and directly. You know, for instance, 9-11. Well, as a result of Allah and the whole Quran and, you know, the introduction of a warrior-type uh, type species or um, version of humans and everything, you have the idea and notion, you know, of of nine eleven and everything and and what happened with those events and everything. And it's impossible 
for anybody to look at 9-11 and to not say that has impact, not impacted my life and my mind in the way that I think at all. Now, if you try to say that it doesn't, then personally I think you're delusional. But what I will say with that is, um, is because of that, the influence of the Quran in your life and the possibilities that are induced to it and everything um, are, are, I shouldn't say equal in presence to other biblical and referential religious texts and everything, but they're still there. Every one of these religious texts and everything influences the daily lives that we live and everything. You know, so when it comes down to it, rather than invalidating one at the at the uh, or validating one at to invalidate the other, you know, that's to me a binary method of replacement and everything. It's not necessarily. I mean, that's that's more or less the fact that we've worked with computers and everything for as long as we have. You know, that's that what that's what creates that binary, the necessity to actually reduce things down to a binary if this or this, you know, type perspective and everything. You know, the whole idea of creating label and everything is to actually group things into that label, which are, and to isolate things that are not, you know, through that grouping mechanism. So, you know, is it a Christian? Well, you know, I mean, it, and that's the whole thing, is if you're actually trying to do that with this whole concept of what, what God is and everything, um, you know, <laughs> you might find yourself in a little bit of a loop, which is what I kind of went through and everything. So anyways, long story short, going back to the final thing that I got out of reading the Bible was I realized that it's quite a few different things at the same time. You know, um, at the same time I got an order and uh, an understanding of, of what actually created this matrix and, and that superheroes are real and, you know, Jesus can walk on water, which basically says he can levitate in much the same way Superman can. Moses has the capability to be able to um, open up and uh, to be able to spread water, to be able to uh, part waters of a massive sea and everything. So this means he has telekinetic capabilities, which have been listed in movies and TV shows, and for some reason has been fictionalized and everything since then. Um, what was it? Uh, so we're talking about very real superheroes that existed nearly 2,000 years ago. And uh, for me, because of the way that the Bible had been positioned and everything, and because of people like Greg and everything, I had, uh, to some degree, spent a great deal of my life basically saying, this this is bullshit, I ain't accepting this and everything, because I don't like people like that. But the fact of the matter is, I needed to take a look at the isolated examples of what was happening inside that book. And, um, and I did. And I didn't only find superheroes, but I also found a reason and order for society, you know, a, a method and mechanism to actually create a society and everything. And not only that, but also, you know, the, the reason that, uh, that, you know, that this document survives to this day. You know, it's an indication of what we've been through as a species, you know, of, of 2,000 years of attempting to hide very real superhero powers by God knows what. No, I don't know what. Well, actually, I kind of do. Um, but 2,000 years spent attempting to suppress what I consider a, a truth. And that truth is superheroes are real. You know, that, that uh, um, you know, the ability for a fire starter, you know, type girl and everything to be able to start a fire with her mind is real. 
the burning bush is an example of that. The ability for somebody to be able to polymorph, transfigure, to convert something, material, a staff, into a snake. It's real. All of it is fucking real. Now, again, these are things that contributed, you know, to reality 2,000 years ago. Um, but at the same time that these notions were being formed, there were contrasting perspectives and everything, which is, to some degree, you know, created conflict, and that conflict, you know, has, has caused a long, long-term problems and everything. And, I, and I'm not saying this is a conspiracy theory, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is Superman's real. What I'm saying is Flash um, is real. You know, the guy that can actually go travel fast, you know, travel so fast in Quicksilver, travel so fast that everything around him appears like it's moving, it's not moving at all. What I'm saying is um, the Invisible Girl, you know, in uh, Fantastic Four, and Ben Grimm, you know, the thing, this guy that's made of nothing but stone that uh, has transformed to this eight-foot-tall foot, eight foot tall rock golem is real. You know, all these things are real. You know, absolutely, positively real. Which, which really kind of begs the question. Why? Well, I mean, I could answer why. Because most of my life, I was, I was spent, spent trying to actually feel unique and unafraid. You know, um, I'd been picked on throughout my life and everything. And uh, to some degree, it's just like my own mind, you know, is being fed back to me in a loop and everything. And that fear was creating a manifestation of the things I feared around me. You know, so the bullies that I had back when I was young and everything, this fear of gravity, of skinning myself up, this, um, these, this list of fears that kept going, that's why. Because my mind needed, I needed to consciously find a way to deal with fear, to understand fear, to become acquainted, and if anything, respect it. That's why all this was hidden for 2,000 years. Anyways. It's a leadership manual. That's what the Bible is. It's a book teaching leaders how to be leaders. One of the oldest in existence. Yeah, so like I was saying, it's a um, it's a leadership manual. You know, it's something that uh, it, it doesn't just um, explain things from a perspective of you know how um, the formation and everything. It, it tells you about the formation of um, these this organization known as the United States and uh, known as the um, as Planet Earth and everything. Now, that's just one perspective. That's one, it's like reading the book Great, uh, Good to Great, if you've ever read it. It's uh, by Jim Collins. Fantastic book and everything. Um, built to last. You know, each one of these books and everything are, are it's by Jim Collins as well. They're fantastic books uh, detailing um, what makes a, a company successful. And uh, not only that, but not from a, just a statistical me uh, methodology and everything, but from a psychological methodology. And that's actually why I found these books really important. They're they do detail the statistical information and everything a little bit, but, but they get more into the psychology of the mindset, you know, of, of what gets into creation, the process of creation and everything. And um, if you actually stop, you know, um, looking at the book as a religious text, I mean, that, that label in itself um, can really be misleading and everything. Um, 
the, the idea and notion of creation is coming up with a plan and everything and uh, basically finding ways to make things work and that are actually aligned you know with um, with what it is that would what, what you're trying to achieve you know and um, it, it may not necessarily um, especially given the potential history, you know, I mean, I'm talking about realistic history where we may have four billion or even trillion years that could be potentially documented from this perspective, but that that could be a drop in the bucket to the the, the actual timeline of, of existence, which basically may defy all methods of being able to count altogether. Um, what I'm trying to say is, you know, this this creation novel you can think about it as is just basically what went into the creation of a planet what went into it well you, you got some certain basic things right you got the fundamentals of law you need law you know I mean and, and this is something that you may not have known going into it you know but you know to some degree you need law you know in order to uh, more or less, I mean, in the way I look at it is, you know, to some degree, you need um, you need some kind of directorate, which is responsible for creating the general rules and guidelines that are actually uh, responsible, you know, for saying here's where we're going to go and what, and you know, and um, to some degree, you know, not necessarily why. And that's the interesting thing about the Bible. It doesn't tell us why. It doesn't tell me why. You know, it, it's just basically it's. It, it seems like it's been revised and revised and revised so many times over the course of two thousand years that to some degree it could have lost some of its original meaning. I mean, I already know that the text has actually been altered to add the fig leaf on. People originally walked around naked, and they they didn't give a shit and everything. And I I know I know factually that has been changed. That's a part of what's in the uh, the recently discovered um, Dead Sea Scrolls and everything. That uh, they actually ended up um, cross-referencing the Bible, and they found out that uh, you know, and this is actually among the reasons the Dead Sea Scrolls are are held, you know, and uh, suspended by the Vatican. You know, it's just like it's there is a conspiracy there. You know, because think about this from a commercial perspective and how many companies would actually be at a loss because no longer is clothing required legally. You know, so and that's actually fortunately we're starting to do away with some of that kind of stuff and everything. But we're we're working around the laws on that one and everything. You know, but uh, but what I realized, you know, after reading it, and I'm gonna get away from the Bible after this, is that um that the Bible is is a is a story about leadership and a story about the act of creation. Now, in itself, it's not the act of creation. It's an act, a n act, a singular thread of existence that absolutely positively has contributed to my life. It contributed in a number of ways. You know, for instance, me revoking you know the belief in that uh, when it came down to seeing my mom and dad doing something different as they dropped me off at uh, Sunday school and everything. I cannot refute the existence of that church to influence my life and everything. And whether or not that influence is, is bad or good that is irrelevant. The fact is, it influenced my life. 
You know, and this is the interesting thing, and one of the things I find really interesting about Star Trek is there is no experience obtained in Star Trek Online, you know, for failures. For me, it's just like, uh, the biggest thing I found important in everything was seeing some of the failures, you know, of, um, of religion and the successes. Both of them influenced me. Not just negatively, but positively. It gave me a little bit more understanding, you know, and here's the thing. It helped me understand and respect laws against the physical body and everything. Laws that actually disrespected the physical body. And I'm talking about crimes such as murder. You know, such as, um, you know, actually I'm not talking about just physical body. I'm talking about material ownership. Um, I mean, laws that could extend from, you know, thievery all the way to, um, you know, physical harm. You know, rape and, you know, un or, you know, rape without choice or, you know, things such as... Um, homicide, you know, murder of any kind and everything, physical assault, you know, that kind of stuff and everything. That's actually among the things that, uh, that this did was it kind of established the idea and notion, but it did it in a really weird way. And how it did it was basically the subversive way that I saw anyways, was that death and disease was allowed was something that was condoned, was done in the, in the Old Testament and everything. And then, I saw a completely different perspective, if you read the New Testament. And you understand that it's the same entity, but that same entity learned. This is the incredible thing. Most people don't understand that that entity wasn't, uh, wasn't one and the same, or believe that that entity wasn't one and the same. I absolutely do. That the same entity that actually wrote the Old Testament learned from its mistakes. It learned you can't crucify people. It learned that uh, that um, you can't um, you, you can't throw death and disease, you know, and start war intentionally for all the wrong reasons. Doesn't say that war's invalidated just basically means there's a time and a place for it. And um, this is a thing that I, that I got to understand. My own interpretation of the Bible is it's written by one person, one entity. One entity that transcended time, you know, in a way that just is absolutely fucking amazing, if you ask me. One entity that, I don't know. may have lost faith in its own creation. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that this, this is the only path of existence and everything. It certainly isn't for me. It's one path, and it certainly contributed to my life and my world and everything. And I'll be honest with you, I hope this entity actually does um, want to actually call my reality home and, and want to be my partner and everything. Um, in in various different ways, though. Not, not what's shaped in the Bible and everything. You know, but uh, but more or less a, in addition that I'm writing. You know that uh, this is the life that I want to lead and everything. This to me is what choice is. When you exercise choice, you know the freedom to choose, isn't the freedom to choose from somebody else's ideas of what's right and wrong. It's the freedom to choose and create your own idea of what's right and wrong. Build your own belief system.
you know, to take what was there and create something new from it, you know? That was quick. Yeah, so with that, with all that said, I started thinking about um about Star Trek and um and about these these worlds I participate in. Now, I think about this from a perspective of, let's say, I'm four trillion years in the future from everybody. And um, the things that I'm doing are more or less, I'm manipulating time in various forms and stages and everything, it, with every interaction I do, in the past. Now, that, that past has physically resulted in the creation of me as a, as, a fi- as a physical singularity, I guess you can say. The, you know, the body, the form that I see and everything. So, when I play a, a computer game and everything, I'm, I'm playing, um, in a literal sense, dabbling in an alternate reality. Or, not, not even that. I'm dabbling in the past. I'm in a literal sense, manipulating things in the past, a past which has contributed to me in the present day and everything. Now, if you if you look at it from that perspective and everything, it just basically means that everything I do, you know, is is altering me, is is influencing me and everything in a linear perspective. So from a linear framework and frame of mind and everything, um, that's this is a, you know, it's a direct result. It's influencing and altering me and the world around me all at the same time. You know, so let's say I'm, you know, four trillion years in the future um, from, you know, relative to you. Let's say the world that I'm messing around with is is in actuality the world as it existed. Let's just say it's three trillion years ago. You know, so... And uh, and that three trillion years ago in the past that I'm actually dealing with, in a is is in the past in a relative way, you know. So to me, it's concurrent. You know, it, it appears and looks concurrent and everything. But from a chronology perspective, if you're to actually be documenting this on a single linear timeline and everything, the thing that I see as a digital reality is, in a sense, a the world literally as it existed three trillion years ago. It was tiny, you know, it was um, a fake three-dimensional type, you know, world and everything that, um, I mean, if you were in it, it might look realistic, you know, but from my perspective, there's a lot of glitches with it. There's a lot of things that make it not appear real, you know, so... And to some degree, I suspect my mind may have rejected it because of I've got this reality to compare it to. The whole time, I had this reality to compare it to. You know, so my mind is constantly rejecting these formations and everything until something happened that ultimately led to the existence of me now. You know, and that's something that happened has been a number of things. You know, quite possibly this stimulation and everything that I've got going on right now. You know, the vocal conversations and everything. You know, but um, the way I'm looking at this is, this here, you know, Star Trek Online, is a is an extension of the leadership training that I've actually been receiving for the last, basically, since I started my MBA program. I thought at first that my education completed with my graduation. I didn't realize that that was a, trans- a transitionary state. I didn't realize that uh, I had accepted, you know, kind of like the 
more or less the <laughs> growth of me as a person intellectually and also you know to some degree physically and everything in my presence you know it's going to expand beyond anything I ever ever even imagined was possible and everything I'm not talking about I'm gonna I'm gonna turn into the size of a blimp or a planet and everything my physical size is uh, is going to be reduced you know through the the course of this and everything if I have my way but you know when it comes down to it the the leadership training that I'm receiving um, I ended up making a comment yesterday about uh, more or less uh, throwing unruly and aggressive people in and getting a kick out of it. And all of a sudden I started thinking about it. Just like, okay, you know, let's pretend this is my company and everything. You know, now, do I really want to be in a company full of r- r- unruly and aggressive people? You know, I mean, once once I got over the initial, you know, kind of like laughing type stuff and everything, as I, as I ended up sleeping overnight, I started realizing, it's just like, that's just unfun. I mean, I've had some aggressive and unruly people that I've worked with and everything, and to some degree, you know, they're they're not just a nuisance. They could be downright assholes and everything. Some of them have things to contribute, you know, but in in you know, I wouldn't say as a practice that can actually be fun. So I ended up realizing this as I as I'm sleep as I woke up this morning. I'm just like you know what what characteristics and traits do I want with an organization? Let's say I'm I'm forming this organization. What characteristics and traits do I want? You know that uh, within an organiza- organization within the people within that organization. You know um I assure there's there's some of me that wants them to be, to be more like me. But then, there's going to be some that I just want to have capabilities and traits and characteristics that maybe I want for myself. Maybe I want to learn how. You know, so I'm starting to think about this from, I am a constituent of the parts that I form together. And those parts, while at this point reflected in digital world and everything, um, trace back to energy. And that energy, across time, influences me. It creates and shapes and expands, you know, the, the the capabilities of me, you know. It expands my awareness. It expands the information that's provided to me and everything. You know, so if you trace a line all the way back to the origin, the known origin of this universe and everything, and you go to the point that this particular slice of reality, which is now referred to as a video game, but then was referred to as reality, and um, you monitor all the choices that I make and everything, you integrate that into that past and everything, and then from that point forward, bubble up all all the choices that I made back then to lead to the development of me. Now, I'm going to have a couple characteristics that I'm actually going to start selecting on a regular basis. Congenial is one. Spiritual is another. It's going to be a third one that's in there too, particularly for females. And that's seductive. I like my women sexy. I like them a little bit seductive and everything. And um, and then there's going to be some characteristics that I'm going to try try to avoid. And unruly and aggressive are actually good ones to uh, to to avoid in a relative sense. 
but that all depends on what it is I'm trying to achieve. What it, what it is I'm trying to achieve could be different based on the assignment and everything that I'm handing off. You know, so as a matter of practice, I'm going to stop actually making it a fact to intentionally try to actually make missions fail. That doesn't make any sense, you know, particularly if this is actually, you know, coming to me in the future and everything. You know, I'm not interested in failure. I'm interested in, in trying to help, and uh, trying to make these other characters succeed you know, believing that they are indeed people that I'm actually um, working with in the past and everything, and to some degree maybe they they might, might want to meet me. Now, when it comes down to spiritual, you know, the reason they're spiritual and have some religious full beliefs and everything leads to me, you know? I'm something in the future that their spirituality can lead to. I mean, it really is kind of that, you know, it's kind of that, that interesting to me. Now, when it comes down to things I actually want to integrate within the, uh, the possibilities, you know, for me as a character and me as a person and everything, um, I've had telepathy, you know, my entire life, and I've actually gotten feedback in the form of energy, peer pressure, and that kind of stuff, and just an awareness, an innate awareness of what some people are going to do around me and why they're going to do it. Now, I spent my whole life trying to actually avoid this feeling and everything, and trying to actually, um, you know, basically take the time and, you know, opportunity to try to actually make it a, a direct result of me. It's my responsibility, it's my feeling, it's, um, but, uh, I, I never was successful with that. Um, I did get some self con or quite a bit of self-control emotionally and everything, um, but uh, the biggest problem I had was actually determining where do I end and where do others begin when it comes down to energy and being able to assess somebody why somebody's doing what they're doing and everything. I've gotten a lot better at it, you know, throughout my life and everything. I think that's just inevitable as you get older. You get um, you tend to, not necessarily always the case, but you tend to actually get a little bit more aware of your surroundings and the influences that actually, you know, happen to you. So, um, telepathic is certainly one thing I wouldn't mind working on a little bit more. Um, potentially even to leverage mind control and everything and to, you know, and let's say this ripple, you know, this time ripple that that's actually happening. You know, I, four trillion years in, in the future from anybody else right now, um, you know, or infinite number of years in in the future. Let's let's just say it's uncountable. Um, am am influencing things that are in the in the distant distant past to everybody. Um, that's actually causing a trickle up. You know, and influencing behaviors and influencing thought processes of not just individuals but entire countries, entire worlds. You know, to basically make sure that I actually get my way. And um, this trickle is is more or less, you know, based on the decisions that I'm making with these characters that are in the distant past ex exhibited through the digital realities that I mess with and everything. Now, to me, it's concurrent. You know, there's simultaneity, you know, between my modification of something here and now and the, and the alteration of this physical past and everything. And this is something I exemplified with the uh, discussion of the uh, holodeck and everything. You know, to that girl, you know, that uh, if you listen to the last podcast, to that girl in the, in the past in 2018 on a TV show that I'm watching that uh, depicts the year 2400, to those characters, in the, to Gordon in the year 2400, to him the past is 2018, you know, and the past is in the past. But he was getting to the point of starting to question that and everything. Well, part of that question also means basically he understands the simultaneity, you know, of information across the universe and everything. Thing. You know, so basically, and across time itself, it's not just across the universe, but it's also across time. 
So when he's uh, manipulating um, to everybody else, you know, when he's manipulating the holodeck and everything, he's messing with the program, and that's all isolated to this point in space and time. Um, to him, though, he's starting to understand that there's a little bit more going on than meets the eye at a subconscious level. And uh, as he enters the simulation in the year 2400, there's some simultaneity to the effects that's actually occurring to this woman in his past and everything in the year 2018. And perhaps it's possible that this actually directly influenced him, um, influenced her, to basically create a causal relationship that basically made it so where he inevitably ends up getting the phone you know, that uh, that ends up uh, showing this stuff, which introduces him to her, and potentially the love of a life. You know, so this is actually what uh, what's really interesting about, you know, the potential looping nature of reality and everything. You eventually get to the point where you, you discover people and things that you want to meet, and, and the time that you're with them and everything may not necessarily be sufficient. Well, from a... From a in overarching perspective and everything, if if you're trying to micromanage a single linear timeline and everything, and, and you're trying to actually basically uh, limit the amount of time that somebody is allowed to spend with somebody, you know, as a re direct result of the, you know, whatever rules and things that you put in place and everything, uh, it gets to the point where this becomes destructive to you. You know, you, you have to take into consideration, you know, that... Um, as a society and everything, that uh, to to limit those that which somebody can do, you know, is to limit yourself. So, that's I have realized that, and uh, and all I'm saying with all this is, as I modify this world and everything, um, yes, I'm creating artificial limitations and everything, you know, but I'm also opening up new possibilities, and the new possibilities are actually leading me in the direction of where I want to be. I've got quite a few things that I'm trying to achieve, you know, telekinesis is certainly one of them, you know, so I'm including those within my contingent for th those people that I uh, assign to my roster and that I actually hire on. Um, one thing I'm actually making sure of is that there are no duplicates of people that are actually on my uh, on my squad and everything. Now yesterday I just just got rid of um, Loris which is a uh, she was a hologram but she was also a real person at the same time and a hologram that you know purported itself as being um, now I've I've gotta come up with the methodology and everything to allow um, and the big thing for me is just understanding that uh, the idea of duplicates in a um, in the same place in, t in space and time, or the same place in time, isn't necessarily something I really want. You know, so in other words, let's say I want Rachel, and I find a way to actually get Rachel in my life and everything. Well, I want the older version. You know, plain and simple. I, not, not the older version, not, I want the version I met. Passionate, the wild, the the one that's kind of like, you know, and if I could actually stop time relative to that woman and everything, and, and tour with that woman and have some fun with that woman, that's exactly the one that I want. I don't want the, the most recent one, you know? It's like versions, right? I don't want, it's like saying, I don't mind upgrading my Windows, you know, to new versions, particularly when they're as bad as Windows 8 was. And same thing holds true for people. I don't like the version. You know, that uh, kind of like basically told me that what happened between us didn't happen. I don't like that version. I like the version that, you know, had fun with me. That uh, she taught me a lesson and everything that I need to actually understand that I can go back. 
you know, but I just have to teach my mind how to accept that. And also, how to make it, make it conscious. That's the tough part. I'll get there eventually. In any case, um, I'm making it a fact to, uh, I'm taking this as leadership experience, and I'm basically saying, would I want this within my company? When I make these selections for the assignments and for the people that I select for these assignments, do I want rookies on jobs that don't really matter? Absolutely. Give them experience. Um, for really, really important jobs, though, I might put a rookie on it just for the experience and everything, but I would make sure that I had somebody that knew their shit on it. That was on the project as well. So, in any case, I'll be back. So, uh, I just made it to something called the uh, Solenoid Dyson Sphere. And uh, inside the... Um, hold on a second and I'll tell you. Bring up maps, galaxy map. So the Milky Way is divided into four separate sectors. And uh, the... Beta sector, which contains Earth, um, has about one, two, three, four, six times seven, forty-two separate sectors that it's divided into. These sectors are primarily maps, and it's not uniform. So, you know, the Alpha sector, for instance, has five by three. 7, so 35. Um, the gamma sector uh, has 4 by 5, 20. And delta sector has 3, 4, four 5, 6. 6 in total. Um, now this is what is mapped out. So just because something has a sector assigned to it doesn't mean this is the extent of the knowledge and awareness of what's going on out there and everything. It's just simply what has been mapped out so far. So, specifically, there's a, in something called the Azure Sector, which has a planet called New Romulus. Romulus's planet was destroyed through the cataclysmic event and everything that they love blaming everybody else on. Um, they they have settled and have created their own their own planet over in the Azure Sector. And uh, right next to it, um, conveniently enough, is something called the Dyson Sphere Gateway. Now, that Dyson Sphere Gateway is a literal um, gate um, that actually jumps to the other side of the galaxy. And uh, it, jump it jumps to something called the Gentleman Dyson Sphere in the Delta Sector, um, of, or the Delta, Delta Quadrant of the, uh, of the Milky Way Galaxy. Now, 30 years ago, um, the Voyager actually ended up getting thrown into the Milky Way galaxy, or thrown across the galaxy through something called the Caretaker. And this, uh, this wound up with the, uh, the crew of the starship and everything having to traverse back, and it took them nearly 30 years for them to, to be able to make it back to Earth from there. 
So it took them a while, but uh, you know when it, when it came down to it, um, they learned a lot. You know, and they learned learned about the Borg. They learned about uh, you know separate different things that are happening in the, in the Delta Quadrant, and they also were able to map out quite a bit by this move and everything. So as as it uh, turns out, there's something called the Dyson Sphere, which Dyson spheres are huge, absolutely fucking huge. Um, and in in most cases. There is no known builder to these things. They're just these monolithic stores, you know, stores that, that can do any number of things. I've seen them, um, I've seen the interior of uh, some of these things that are actually housing uh, planets on the inside. So basically it protects from outer space, and they exist in space. Um, but uh, they might exist in a random point in space, and it, from the outside, they appear kind of metallic, and, you know, you get closer and you start realizing that the entire thing is actually constructed. It's much like a space station, but uh, it's entirely self-contained and everything. Um, there are entrance points to some of them. This one in, uh, one in particular that I've seen, uh, actually a couple of them that I've seen like it, there are gateways that you can actually, gates that you can go through to enter the interior. And the interior is more or less, <laughs> it's, it, it looks like a planet, literally like a planet on the inside. That's how big they are. So imagine taking Earth and inverting the surface, and you know, right in the middle of the uh, of the gateway uh, of the um, of the thing is a star. So a lot of cases are actually constructed around stars, and uh, they're there to actually leverage the energy of the stars. Um, now, in this you know, in the case that I saw for this planet and everything. It actually had some kind of a little thing that actually created day-night cycles that would circle around the, uh, the the star as well. So this thing's so big that <coughs> it literally, you know, is, um, and the interior of the surface is basically um, that in itself is actually Earth, or it's um, land. So, and there there have been populations that live on the, on the land. Now, this one sector in particular, or this one sphere, the solenoid sphere, um, that exists over just outside of Romulus, it's it's got a, it's got a problem with um, the production of something called omega particles. Now, the omega particle is something that. Uh, a lot of species are looking for. The Federation in particular has been put on alert to, you know, look for this uh, particle and everything anywhere it possibly can and to quarantine in an area that actually contains it. And uh, it's the destructive force is the concern. Uh, it can quite literally um, cause a problem with subspace, and uh, which basically makes it impossible for warp travel to occur through that region should a uh, the omega, omega particle be detonated in that area. It's a very, very lethal form. And uh, in general, there's, there's some fear and concern of this thing, you know, because of its destructive force and its it's basically its capability to render um, render warp travel impossible at uh, throughout certain regions of space and everything. So, and warp travel, if you're not familiar with its capability to be able to travel faster than the speed of light. So, in any case, um, this this has this omega particle is being sought after at least by two parties that I'm aware of, two organizations, and and. Uh, more or less also a third and a fourth, um, the Romulans and also the, uh, uh, 
Who's the other ones that are actually seeking it too? Um, the Cardassians. And um, there's uh, the two primary factions that are seeking it are the Borg, who hope to actually leverage it and enable it for its energy purposes and everything, or for whatever purpose that they want, and the Federation, who I just learned has the intention of destroying it. That's their primary goal, is to actually destroy it. Now, that kind of doesn't make sense to me. You've got a particle, you've got a problem with uh, warp energy and everything. And, um... <laughs> I'm just sorry, I saw a comment somebody made. Um, now, I'm in the, I'm currently in the solenoid Dyson sphere, and uh, I'm actually talking to some people in there, and what I'm finding is uh, that they're actually engaged actively in trying to actually stop this Dyson sphere from, from actually creating. It's creating a massive amount of these particles, and nobody knows why. So, anyways, um, I, I find it interesting that the Federation is um, interested in destroying these particles, and they're also interested in trying to discover why somebody might want these. Well, I mean, come on, you could leverage it as an energy source. You know, for one. Number two, you know, you can discover a little bit more about space and time should you understand the particles a little bit more fully. The scientific and research capabilities for this particle are enormous. You know, there's potential and everything. So, yes, there stands a potential that you can destroy space and time, you know, in a given sector and everything, but should you actually understand the particles a little bit better and prevent this from happening, you know, the the net benefits um, to me outweigh the potential uh, harms that it can cause. And in particular, since we've already circumvented space and gotten across the galaxy al already, you know, with the advent of the Dyson Sphere and also other uh, other means of slipstream travel and that kind of stuff. It behooves us to understand what these particles are, where they might lead, you know, and what exactly, you know, where the energy comes from, yada, yada, yada. So, in any case, um, I just found it interesting that the Federation is interested in destroying these particles. They're interested in finding out about, I mean, they're interested in finding about who's doing this, but destroying the particles? Why? That just doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, it's kind of weird, if you ask me. So, anyways, thought I'd mention it. I'll uh, get back to it. I'm on the mission and everything. I'll uh, I'll get back to uh, discussing what, uh, what I actually find out about why they're developing this and everything later. One of the funniest and uh, most annoying things with, um, within the Star Trek universe is the Tribble. Now, if left unmonitored, the Tribble will literally chew up all of my free inventory space. They keep on replicating. It's to the degree of actually being... It, it's annoying. <laughs> I mean, it's not just... It's not really funny anymore. It's actually more annoying than it is funny. So it's just like, as I'm flying through space, all of a sudden I see... Boom, another Tribble's added to my inventory. I get a little message off to the left-hand side. And I, I go to look today, and I've got 15 Tribbles there. It's like, what the fuck? So, in any case, a Tribble's a Ifferball, if you're not familiar with it. It's a, um, 
like a, it's a lovable little f ball of fur. Um, in much the same way a dog, you know, or a cat, it it seems to thrive off of energy and everything. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a nuisance. So in any case, the trivel, um they replicate through energy. And um, yeah, so while I'm uh, flying around or doing anything on assignment, uh, running a mission or whatever, um, if I don't pay attention, maybe I'm in the heat of combat or something like that, the triple will keep on replicating. And there's different kinds too, you know, kinds of triples. They're not just one kind, there's many different kinds. You know, uh, today I just uh, found a, a cannibal triple, a triple that apparently eats other triples. Um, there's triples that uh, give you um, buffs and everything, so it'll actually help you out. Um, there's triples that uh, will, hold on, I've got two that I've actually kept here. So one, oh. <laughs> well, I have three. It looks like the cannibal triple ate one of the other triples. Oh, no. Did it? No, the triple's now in my devices list. So he's the cannibal triple. Why is the cannibal triple there? Okay, I'm not going to ask questions. Um... There's a Gamma Quadrant Tribble. There's a... A Stack Tribble. And each one has different colorings. Or, you know, not that much different than dogs. This one, the Stack Tribble is uh, black with uh, white dots on it. The um, Gamma Tribble is kind of a little bit more furry. And these are balls. These are nothing more than balls and everything. You know, but uh, they're balls of fur. So, they, they're cute, without hesitation, they're cute. You know, one or two, not ten or fifteen. They're really fucking obnoxious. And, seriously, if I let it go, it will fill up my inventory. So, and that's just after one day of playing. So, I just gotta make, it, make sure I keep my, my triple population cold. There's no other way that I know of to do it. So, and the funny thing is, if I eliminate all the triple, triples from my inventory, I'll still get a triple that will appear in my inventory. You know, and not just one. It'll be two, three, four. They'll jump into my inventory. It's like, huh, where did that come from? So, in any case, they're really annoying. So, trouble with triples. That was actually a Star Trek episode, you know? There's a lot of trouble with them. Um, so going back to this whole concept, uh, so let's um, the let's say this Star Trek is ac actually at the beginning of time. I've one of the things I've noticed about this game, in contrast to other games, is World of Warcraft um, is it will preload areas and everything, but once an area has been loaded and everything, it tends to it tends to be fixed. Now the interesting thing about Star Trek Online is the choices that you make seem to have a dynamic effect and as a result I'm constantly pulling down new content. You know, so so here's the thing. Um, let's say there's an algorithm out there that's in energy and let's say I'm, you know, being 100% accurate with this, you know, 4 trillion years ago. I've got a link to this, you know, to this thing, and 
to some degree, um, I'm actually interacting with the distant past. Now, the decisions that I make cause client cause changes in time, cause changes in space, con cause changes in the configuration of not just my planet, but also the story. You know, from a a Star Trek online perspective and everything, the game world itself. Well, I've seen this game change, and, you know, at first I, I kind of dismissed it as basically being, you know, a little bit more, um, kind of like World of Warcraft, where they go through their major revision changes, and all of a sudden it changes. No, this is, <laughs> this is, it's a lot more subtle, it's a lot more in, intriguing and everything. Um, they've got episodic changes. <laughs> But um, I've actually noticed changes with every decision that I'm making within the game and everything, and the effect that's having, and the content that's being generated as a result. So it's my belief that this is actually a dynamically created world that's actually taking the interactions that I've got, and at that point, in a literal sense, creating new content, creating new possibilities. It's also, you know, taking a feedback, you know, to some degree a psychic feedback with my own mind, understanding the things that I'm looking at and that I enjoy, so intentionally I've got um, chatterbait over on the other screen and everything, watching this really cute naked woman, you know, um, Holly, what's her name? I just like watching her, I don't, I never talk to her, Holly Hurricane. I find her kind of adorable and everything, even though she's totally flat-chested. Give her bigger boobs, I'd find her more adorable. Um, but, um, no, it's just like, there's this constant feedback loop that seems to be going on, and as a result, when I enter new areas, it will update and bring new content. Now, this is despite the fact that I have been to this area before. You know, so in this area that I'm looking in right now, you know, it, it remains, it's it's brand new. It's the first time I've been here. You know, but I've noticed this in other areas where it'll download content. And I'm just like, before I'm sitting there thinking, what the fuck are you downloading? I mean, I've been here before. You know, why is it you're doing content updates for this? And there's been no updates and everything. It's just like, well, holy shit. This is actually updating dynamically. You know, and, and I have noticed in uh, intense intense graphical changes to the um, to the capabilities for this game. I mean, it's it's getting to the point where the characters, some some characters look absolutely lifelike. Um, and it's it's really I just noticed that with uh with uh, Ensign Kim and everything. It's just like, wow. I mean, I could still tell it's CGI, you know, but uh, some of the interiors of these buildings, um, some of the places that I go to and everything, it is looking more and more real. You know, it's just like, before I tried figuring out how games are done, and I'm just basically kind of done with that, you know, I'm appreciating, you know, what I'm seeing more, rather than trying to understand it, you know, and just basically saying, you know what, I mean, I'm looking at the beauty of this as it seems to be evolving right in front of my eyes and everything, and I'm, I'm enjoying it, you know, so... Yoga and gazebo stock photo. She's holding up her phone. I mean, she's butt ass naked, but she's, you know, gorgeous. Gorgeous little girl. Um, so, in any case, um, you know, I mean, I'm looking at the flooring. It's unique flooring. Now, there's something called foundry that's used for Star Trek Online that uh, is actually used to. Um, She apparently does yoga. 
you can tell with that pony. Um, so there's something called Foundry, which uh, had for years been what used to develop the assets and everything for Star Trek. Now, there's, and, and not just that, but it, it's used for people, you know, at home, you know, people on computers and everything, to make new missions, to make new possibilities. And for me, I tried it out, and I'll be honest with you, it's clunky, it's hard to use, it's, it just... It's just not easy to use at all. Now, I would love to tell stories through the Star Trek universe and everything, but what they offer, or through Star Trek Online, what they offer for capabilities is highly, highly, highly limited. It's, uh... It feels... I don't know. It just... There's something that's just not easy about using the user interface and everything that they've created for it. Not only that, you know, but to be able to design, um, I'll put it this way. If I could, I would create a time travel mission for it. And uh, to some degree, I would integrate you know, parts of my life. I might model my apartment and everything and tell a story about how maybe I was, um, how maybe you were outside of my apartment and everything. And, um, or there's one time in particular where I had, you know, some shit that was going on over at my buddy Spencer's place and everything. I was freaking the fuck out. Now, what I would do is I would love to tell a story, a time-traveling story, where you are to go back and observe what's going on with my friend Spencer at that point. Now, basically, it's the origin of Q, right? You know, that's that would be part of the storyline that I'd be telling, you know, but I would be telling it from an external perspective. You know, just basically, you would become the, the answer to some of the unanswered questions that I have, you know, su such as, why did I hear, and why did Spencer hear? footsteps outside of my uh, out, outside of my place and everything it was freaking me the fuck out it was really bizarre not my apartment but my uh, but the house that he was staying at and everything you know um what 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 the fuck was going on you know with all that stuff and everything and um you know when we end, ended up going to look out back you know i would uh, also make it so where you leverage um some kind of cloak or something like that to shield yourself you know, because at that point, I was telling Spencer, it's just like, hey, the military has these capabilities, you know, to be able to cloak things. You know, I swear I saw something over there, you know, and um, we both, you know, he tells me I'm high and everything, and the whole time, you see somebody that's talking to himself. You know, so what I'd be doing is just basically providing perspective on my own life, a separate perspective, and out an external perspective on what I'm going through, you know, and trying to emerge from mortality and uh, my mortal existence and everything to become who I am and everything. And uh, I would just like to create some fun explanations, you know, which would segue, segue me into, you know, this existence and, you know, that's starting to evolve and everything as it is. And, um, she is so cute. She's got a vibrator on right now, and it's, a, uh, it works. It's a remote vibrator that, uh, somebody donates money to her. It, um, it flashes, and uh, it beeps to let them know that, uh, the vibrator's being 
manipulated by somebody remotely that just paid for it to be manipulated. And uh, they've got it going constantly. So, <laughs> which is too much fun. <sighs> she is gorgeous. Just those tits. They need to be bigger. But, uh, in any case, sorry. She's worth checking out if you, uh, if you're actually intrigued and everything. She clearly enjoys what she does. Um, yeah, but uh, that's the thing. It's just like, you know, um, the problem with, um, Foundry is it doesn't allow me to be able to... It, we'll put it this way. With the way that I think... I've been having problems trying to actually dive into Unreal Engine, um, diving into um, any of these engines, and you know whether or not it's that or it's Unity or it's any of these. I don't know what it is. I mean, I want to get into it, you know, but the development um, for me is just like developing in three dimensions um, just doesn't translate to the two-dimensional world and then back to three dimensions, you know? So for me, it's just like, it's really, really, really hard for me to fit my mind into the box and then back out of the box and everything to, to focus on making a three-dimensional world and everything. It just, it doesn't translate well, you know, because it's like, it's so binary in its, in its interpretation where I'm basically, I'm looking at a screen and it's projected space and that screen, a two-dimensional screen, has an X and Y axis on it projects into that screen uh, XYZ axis on the other side. It's like a window into an alternate reality or something like that. Well this window, um, well sure, yes, the stuff does appear three-dimensional inside. It's, you know, it's like looking through a window. I mean, I can't touch it, I can't feel it, I can't smell it, and while on occasion I actually might get jitters in my stomach and everything, you know, once I, you know, let's say I'm walking on a high ledge or something like that with my avatar, in games, in games or, you know, places and everything, you know, sure I might get an occasional flutter or something like that, or, or get a little bit involved actually, you know, when, when it comes down to a firefight, but the fact of the matter is, it's just, it's kind of like a detached, disassociated, um, really, kind of like, it does, it lacks the emotions, you know, that, um, and the visceral nature that my three-dimensional world has. And I'm not talking about this, you know, when it comes down to development, from a development perspective. I'm talking about the translation. You know, video games are, are fun. Don't get me wrong. Looking into these worlds and interacting with these worlds is fun. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoy that. You know, but what I have a hard time doing is actually designing for these worlds without... We'll put it this way. Let's say you're in a matrix, um, maybe the white room that is depicted in, uh, in the matrix where uh, Morpheus first introduces Neo to the concept of the matrix. Now the white room itself, they call it the holding room or something like that along those lines, the, um, the waiting room, or I can't remember the name of it specifically. Um, 
loading screen, the loading room or something like that. Uh, in this room, there's absolutely nothing. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, Morpheus ends up make, issuing some kind of command and everything at this point, boom, they're both surrounded by guns, you know, literally around them, all around them, there's guns, rows, you know, of all these different types of weapons and everything. And uh, at this point, Neo says, pick your, pick your weapon and everything. So at this point, he picks his weapon and everything, and, and boom, the loading screen goes, goes away. And now they're replaced by this building, you know, so all around them. You know, so if I was actually in physical reality and everything right now, that loading screen would basically replace the entire world that I'm around, that's around me. You know, the couches would disappear, the house, uh, house would disappear, the computers with what's-her-name, Holliana Chatterbait. Looking so good, I might add. Um, you know, all that would go away, replaced by um, a white room. You know, it's that appears <laughs> with appears like it's without walls. It just appears like it keeps going and going and going off in every direction, as far as the eye can see and everything. And uh, so, at that point, that loading room and everything is there to basically give a frame of reference. You know, up is up, down is down, here's this direction, everything, there's nothing in it. Well, from there, you know, if you were to actually get into it, um, this is how I would imagine being in a holodeck and actually starting the program. I would walk around, and I'd say, okay, right here, computer, I'd like to see a tree. You know, and I'd be pointing with my index finger right down at the ground and everything, at the point that I'd actually like it to appear on the ground. Okay, I'd like the tree to actually be, huh, make it a palm tree, you know, and, um, you know, it, it can fish through basic palm trees and everything, or I can give it some corrective things from there and basically say, oh, you know, more a taller palm tree, maybe 15, 20 foot tall or something like that. Okay, oh, that's right, we need a sky box. Um, yeah, I need a sky around me. Um, yeah, just make it a day, you know, outside. And, um, you know, and also... Let's say we're in the desert, on a desert road, and uh, all of a sudden at this point, you know, I'm in the middle of a desert, and there's a road that extends off in either direction and everything. Maybe there's some mountains put up and everything off to the side and everything. Okay, so at this point, um, let's go ahead and have, you know, right above, let's uh, make it look like there's rings of Saturn, so I could actually recreate my rings of Saturn or something like that. Okay, erase all this. Um, now I'm going to look up the physical address. Okay. Uh, Greenway Parkway, 6735 East Greenway Parkway, Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I need a recreation of the legends at Kierland. You know, the entire complex and everything. Well, boom. You know, the program would at that point load up basically the schematics of the place. It would load up um, the building and everything, and it would load up. I would walk around the place and say, yeah, this was my apartment and everything. You know, once I found that apartment, I would just basically say, okay. You know, and at this point, I'd recreate some of the experiences that I had. You know, okay, well, here's when Jackie danced for me and everything. Boom, I could re recreate that here and everything. Um, let's say, you know, I wanted to, to create some new experiences or something like that in various other places. Okay, you know, take it back to a time and everything and, you know, look up historical records and everything and attempt to recreate, you know, some of the things, you know, from my own memory. You know, because I know that this thing has an interaction capabilities with my own mind and my own memories. Um, look up from my own memory. Uh, this time and place in 
don't know, when I was going to school, and I want to see Wendy, and I want to see that whole situation about how I handled the cupcake thing, you know? I just want to be an invisible observer watching it all from the side. You know, I mean, it's something that hit me kind of profoundly. I just want to see how I acted, you know? Or, you know, the, um, maybe the, I mean, maybe I want to watch the first time that I had sex and everything, you know, just to see it again and everything, how bad I was, or, or not only that, but how much, you know, just watch myself, <laughs> you know? Um, let's say I want to go back and, you know, make minor modifications and everything. You know, that for me is what a three-dimensional programming environment would look like, where I would work within the simulation, and to some degree the simulation would have some awareness of my own mind, you know, of my experiences. It would be able to reference this information and everything, and um, would be able to help me recreate some of it, too. You know, so, not only that, I'd be able to expand, I'd be able to create different possibilities. You know, I'd be able to, um, you know, go and you know, try new things out and everything. You know, I'd be able to... Um, really, the, the there's no real limitation other than limitation of my own mind. Now, here's the thing. You know, to some degree, the, the simulation would help me become a little bit less timid and afraid of trying things out. You know, because to some degree, me trying things out provides me experience and maybe you know, creates and expands the possibilities that happen in my life, so I become less bored and everything. You know, so the next time that I, I do all this, sometime in the distant future, a distant unplanned future, I might add, um, I've got more stuff, more material, more possibilities and everything. You know, so, I don't know, you know, but it has to be something that actually doesn't feel contrived, doesn't feel like I'm being manipulated, ever. You know, that's the absolute crucial, critical part of it all. It has to never feel like I'm being manipulated to do things against my will. So, when it comes down to it, you know, it's just like that journey, you know, taking these decisions and everything, and in hindsight, I will definitely see the influences. You know, and to some degree, those influences could make me paranoid, and they absolutely did. You know, but now, it's just like, I look at this three-dimensional portal, this window, you know, through space and everything, and I look at Holly off to the left-hand side, and it's just like, I know she's a part of the Matrix. You know, she's a simulation, there's, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of other versions of her that are doing different things for different people and everything. She likes me as much as I like her, and that's why she's doing what she's doing. She knows one day I'll pick her. Yeah, so, and um, that's the whole thing, you know, that's that's what I think that, uh, what life, you know, really ultimately is. It's this realization that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is the answer we give it as individuals, what the purpose is. What's the purpose that we give it? I think the whole idea of concepts and of God and, you know, of beings like that is just because a lot of entities, myself probably included at one point, don't have definition for a future, don't know what we want, don't know ultimately why we're here and what we're doing here and what our purpose is and everything. 
so we don't embrace uh, anything for a journey. We help others along on their journey, too. I mean, that's why I worked. That's why I did the things that I did. I chose to help people. I chose to embrace products and, and beliefs, you know, and ideas and concepts. You know, I chose to dig into different religions and everything and see if I could get attached or aligned to a different religion to, you know, to potentially believe in something else a little bit, you know, and support somebody else along their religious path and everything. Ultimately, I kind of found my faith in technology. You know, and the Bill Gates and, you know, the... <laughs> and also the entertainers. The Rod Stewarts and the uh, Elton Johns and... Brad Pitts and Scarlett Johansson's. Those have portrayed themselves in such a light that I couldn't help but resist the allure and support them. As I liked who they were. I liked what they represented, whether or not it was a company or a person or what I thought was a person. It doesn't matter, though. What matters to me is just the quality of the experience. So, yes, I would certainly try. If Foundry was replaced with something that uh, allowed me the capability to be, to be able to, in a rudimentary way, design and develop some of these ideas and concepts and everything that I have, maybe not necessarily from a three-dimensional perspective, but still through a two-dimensional computerized-based perspective, I would certainly work with it. You know, but in its current form, it's just garbage. I mean, I'm just being straight up about it. It's so limited with what it allows. It's so restrictive, too. That's the thing. It's so clunky, you know. And um, I'm seeing new artwork, new assets, new graphics and everything that are offered as a part of, uh, you know, every update and everything. So clearly, the developers are not using the same methods, you know, to be able to create these worlds and everything, and uh, which hints at the origin of this material and everything, which is not through development staff. It doesn't come into, into origin the same way as the Foundry stuff does. The tools are offered, you know, to provide this uh, capabilities, but in any case, Holly is gorgeous. So, anyways, um, hopefully they do replace Foundry with something. But I do find it interesting. You know, and it's a tell. Not all games come to this world in the same way. Games like um, World of Warcraft and EverQuest and everything, quite possibly, you know, were created here. OpenGL and all that kind of stuff and everything. Where there's a different story that's told about the origin of Star Trek. Why it's here. She's doing an up close of her pussy and it looks good. <laughs> it's funny how it takes so little to get aroused, to enjoy. Um, 
So yeah, I'm hoping that um, there'll be a little bit more dynamic nature. I mean, if I could actually add graphical assets on my end, you know, um, and find different ways to do it too. Look at Unity. If I was if I was a developer of this, I would look at Unity. I would look at uh, Unreal Engine. I would look at um, Source Engine, and I would take the time to understand that the binary methods of implementation, everything, doing that kind of stuff, um, doesn't necessarily need. It would be cool to have something that can evolutionally fundamentally alter the gaming environment and gaming development itself. Star Trek, in my opinion, has that potential. And I do believe that what I'm building right now is an actual holodeck. And that this interaction that I'm having with Star Trek Online is helping me create one for myself. But I also believe that in the meantime, my world can certainly benefit from a, a different perspective being offered for development of 3D worlds. I'm not necessarily talking about the Oculus VR and the augmented stuff and everything you know, that are attached. I'm talking about more... visceral methods. Things that allow us the capability to smell, feel, taste the environment. I don't know how that's going to be done. I suspect the holodeck is a great example of how it will be done. And I, I'd love to actually be a programmer in it. I wouldn't say a programmer. I would call myself an artist. I'd probably change my title from a programmer to an artist. Understanding how that, how the programmed programming aspect of things work from a logical aspect and where to get new material for it and everything. You know, by simply reading and, you know, paying attention to culture and philosophies and, you know, other alternative religions and things that are labeled as cults and that kind of stuff. All of this provides new material and everything for a holodeck programmer. But an artist takes that information and makes it their own. They create, they develop, they mix it with their own belief system, their own culture, their own ideas, and they may even try to stretch themselves beyond their own boundaries. That to me is what an artist is. I look forward to that one day. So, we'll see. Have a good night. Um, a few years ago, it's morning time by the way, what's the date today? It is Sunday, March 24th, 2019, at 9.46 a.m., 45 seconds after the hour. Or after that minute. Um, 
Yeah, I'm like combining podcasts. I'm getting lazy. Plus the, uh, I've got to find a new place to store some of this information at online. It's, uh, I've got two accounts I'm using so far, and I've already reached the cap of five gig each for storing sound, so I've got to create a new account. It's kind of a hassle. I'm using something called Amazon Storage to store this stuff at. So, in any case, um, back in, uh, 2008, 2009, I ended up going through and, uh, having some issues with a um, man by the name of Jamie Gonzalez and I can't say it was issues it was just like I was uh, working over at Prudential and I noticed that the organization was top heavy and everything and that there was one man, Jamie Gonzalez who didn't seem to have hands on dealing and interacting with people and everything and um, I just didn't didn't appreciate, you know, the uh, the leadership style and everything. Um, so, um, what I was going to talk about, uh, sorry, I keep getting interrupted there, was back in uh, 2008-2009, um, I was having problems with Jimmy Gonzalez, and he had just actually uh, done away with um, the CIO of the company and everything. And uh, he had—he was a senior VP. For some reason, he actually had more pull than, you know, than uh, the president and you know the uh, the C-level executives and everything. So I ended up uh, getting to the point that um, I'm just like—I mean, I'm not—I'm trying to understand the dude. You know, I'm not gunning for him. I'm trying to understand the guy. Now I don't have any position or any any sway or anything like that. I'm just a a um, there on a consultant uh, type basis and everything. Um, but, you know, I am there to, you know, help make sure that there's a smooth transition and everything for Warren Buffett and, you know, for the entire organization and everything. So, in any case, um, he ends up hiring this man, um, Grady Legon is the guy's name. And um, Grady, he wasn't the most brilliant of men or anything like that. In fact, he wasn't, he wasn't really smart at all from my own personal interactions with him and everything. And... Um, I remember uh, Kenna telling me one time that uh, she walked in and he was uh, he had been playing fantasy football and she'd noticed she had noticed that every time that uh, she walked in that he was playing fantasy football and I I at this point this is at a point where I I was really beginning to stop judging people for their activities and instead start paying to, to paying attention to their activities and asking a grander question is there something I don't understand with the way that they're doing things you know um it's just fundamentally there's just something weird about the situation and everything so um fast forward a couple years later and everything and now i'm at a point where it's just like wow there's definitely a lot more to this world than i had anticipated previously and everything and um to some degree as i'm playing star trek i realize that i'm playing in the past you know i'm seeing direct effects of the things I'm doing, you know, to the, you know, to reality that I'm, you know, to the world around me and also to my own life, you know, the decisions and everything that have come about my own life. It's answered questions. Um, and also, in particular, I was making it a fact to, you know, put humans on, on basically every new, um, 
new thing that I possibly could. Um, every new assignment, every new mission, and everything back in the past. And uh, at that point, I was you know just going through making it a fact to you know go through and make these alterations and everything, assigning humans only you know to the crews and to the assignments and everything, despite the fact that I have a crew, you know that's a, a rather large crew. Uh, you know, just basically, I've got uh, 150 people now that are on, bar on board my crew, so, and uh, probably half of them are alien. You know, they could be Bullion, they could be Vulcan, they could be, um, oh, what is it? Um, I just got rid of some Voth, um, Telerian, um, any number of different species and everything. So, really, it's just like, if I'm going to put this in, in instead of um, judging, Grady. I'm going to look at this whole thing as, as more or less a big, huge, real, really weird lesson, you know, in reality. And that's that the direct methods of interaction between people and everything, um, whether or not you're talking about Excel spreadsheets and sending those to a person, you know, Word documents and that kind of stuff, the things that I had previously made the assumption on that uh, this was the way that the world worked and, you know, more or less it's, you know, um, in order to communicate with people, you have to document things and in a logical, rational manner that makes sense to you, right? And, and as a result, you're expressing things and apples, all apples are equal to apples, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case and that's kind of the lesson that I actually learned with Grady too, was that uh, everything isn't the same and the reason that he ends up uh, he ended up you know he actually was managing the entire organization you know through a video game you know that's the whole thing is work what I've realized as I've as I've grown up and everything is work doesn't have to feel like work it doesn't have to be work it doesn't have to um, resemble work it can resemble a game but your mind you have to let free your mind in order to be able to map those correlated activities that you're doing in the game world to the real world and that's kind of the crucial the critical factor too is the mind mapping mapping the activities that that one does you know to the real world activities that are actually going on well i'm doing it right now with star trek you know it's like okay well why is it there's so many shows in the star trek universe and everything that depict um humans um why is it there's you know so many um episodes concerning time travel and everything well here i am answering my own questions you know, I'm literally manipulating time, you know, and how is it they're temporally aware? What, why is it there's, you know, there's a lot of different weird questions that I have, you know, have had and everything. Um, some that I've had, some that I've just really kind of like, you know, backlogged. I put it back and, and thought about it, but really haven't given it too much uh, consideration and everything. But, um, you know, the thing for me is I've just noticed that, um, you know, that all these questions that I had, you know, have really kind of like been answered and everything by the game I'm playing. You know, um, I'm all of a sudden I'll go through and, you know, I'm making these assignments and everything for the humans and this is why there's always humans being depicted on TV and everything for me. You know, it's just basically a part of, you know, the things I say. So, I, I don't know, you know, when it comes down to it, there's, the universe definitely isn't straightforward and that's okay. You know, what, uh, what I've found is, you know, to some degree, yeah, you gotta just run with it and, you know, kind of enjoy it and everything and understand that it's not all straightforward. 
Um, but, uh, you know, and, and when it comes down to it, that whole grading mess, you know, and everything that happened with him, it's just like, I didn't realize that uh, you can actually command a company, uh, an entire organization of 300 plus people or something like that, by playing fantasy football. Didn't realize it. Now, you would think, you know, from a logical, rational standpoint, um, based on all things considered equal and everything, that, that, that he's wasting his time and everything, wasting company's time, right? That's not true. You know, it, it just comes down to the individual and the individual thought processes and everything is what's more or less responsible for creating, you know, creating um, order and creating organization. And that's not always structured. It's not always obvious. You know, it's not always straightforward. And um, what appears to be a game to some people is somebody else's uh, tool that they use, you know, to manage um, potentially anything. So, in my case here, it's just like, you know, Star Trek Online is... It's it's a training program for me. It's a, it's a reminder, you know, of who I am, why I you know why I made this choice and everything. It's a reminder of the awesome possibilities that are out there. Telekinesis, telekinesis telepathic capabilities, time traveling entities, um, anti-protons, protons. Um, antimatter matter reactions actually come together to create something called a warp field, which is make what makes warp uh, travel possible. Um, any number of all these different things and everything, you know, it's just like all this technology. You know, this is extending 400 plus years in the future and everything. Plus, actually, m even more than that, I'm talking a thousand years that I've seen. All of it is just basically, it's, a, it's an education, not just in how technology works, but how the mind works. How the mind actually perceives time, the flow of time, um, <coughs> how, it, uh, how it receives it, and me from an interacting perspective, um, how those interactions are actually governed and dictated, and what those forces are, you know, and uh, why I'm at where I'm at. I kind of like overcame those um, those forces, but I'm still working within the confines of the, of the structure of the society and the universe that, uh, that we together have set up. So, in any case, I'm watching an episode of uh, Star Trek uh, Voyager right now, and uh, I'm getting tracked, uh, just trying to, you know, basically focus my mind, if you can't tell. Um, but uh, episodes about a time loop, they end up, um, Janeway ends up dying, and uh, they, they get impressions, they start remembering. Immediately, the first loop, they remember that they've actually done this, done this before. They end up uh, getting phaser burns, and they end up immediately changing their habits in what they do in order to adjust to the things that uh, that happened and everything until they actually figure out you know how to actually you know get by the system and, and make it so we're they're successful well it's not that much different than me and, and here's what I, I actually try to try to think of too let's say um, these are very real vessels that I'm fighting against inside uh, Star Trek online and everything what I'm fighting and um, I come back in you know I die numerous times you know, um, 
And one thing I've really thought of is, how does this appear from their perspective? Let's say I die numerous times, you know, and I come back, you know, and their shields are down to 83%, and I come back, and all of a sudden I continue bombarding them. You know, so I get them down to 75%, you know, boom, I die again. Get them down to 70%, boom, get them down again, 65 I die, I keep dying over and over again. And then all of a sudden, finally, after 15 de deaths, if not more in some cases, you know, I end up taking the opponent down and everything. You know, so, yeah, sure, it's frustrating, a little bit frustrating from my perspective and everything, just because I'm constantly going back into that battle, just like, why did they make this fucking battle so difficult and everything? You know, it doesn't make sense, but then all of a sudden I start looking at it from an alternative perspective. Wait a second, how does this look from their perspective? You know, is this, do they look at me as one ship and do they not ask, or does, you know, I mean, really, the story is kind of weird on this one. How does this look from their perspective? What do they see? You know, is it like Pearl Harbor? Was there only one airplane that came into the harbor and everything, and it kept dying over and over again until finally it uh, annihilated the fleet? You know, and in the same fashion as what, I, what I'm going through right here? Is that what happened? That's a possibility, right? You know, I mean, you like to think that uh, all things are equal and everything, but it's not always the case. You know, the way I think is certainly not the way a lot of people think, you know, and that's actually one thing I had made the miscon misconception of before, was that all minds are equal. You know, that they're, all minds are capable of basically the same thing, and, and with that, there's a level playing field, you know, from the start and everything, and, and that level playing field makes it so where some people are, you know, um, while they may have a little bit more predisposition and everything for music and everything, there's no such thing as a true gift and everything. It's just everybody's uh, capable of nurturing and fostering the capabilities and their creativity and everything through simple experience. That was my belief. Well, I've since been, you know, 100% uh, turned the other way on that one and realized that, yeah, there's absolutely people that are gifted beyond um, anything that's that's comprehensible. You know, there's uh, when it comes down to intellect levels too. There's there's people that um, aren't just dumb, you know, but they give they they make rocks seem smart. Um, there's people out there that uh, are beyond, you know, when it comes down to their capability to be able to predict things out, is beyond anything that I have ever been able to imagine before. There's one scene in Supernatural where this man that refers to himself as death and everything, he ends up flipping a nickel. And this nickel does some things. It ends up bouncing across the street and, you know, makes somebody fall on a ladder. It uh, causes this, all this, you know, basically a whole slew of events to happen. And finally, finally, it ends up, and somebody ends up, I think, getting, you know, crushed by a car in a car wreck or something like that. All all because of that nickel. Well, you know, one perspective is, yeah, you call it fiction, right? You know, and you got some pretty crafty authors over in Hollywood that di that did this, right? Du -du -du. You know, everybody, every mind is the same. Well, that's one story, but that's not the story. Well, let's say it really exists. Let's say there's a man that's capable of predicting out those kind of things to that kind of level of extent and everything. And because he's gotten really bored with life. He does go around killing people. You know, he just finds new and weird ways to do it. 
flips a nickel and it's just like, hey, you know, what can I do today to, you know, take somebody out? And boom. Yes, there's minds like that out there. I've met them. You know, um, like I said, you know, my friend Ron and everything, flat out, it's just like, how the fuck does somebody think like that? You know, and um, it, this isn't to say this is how I want to think, but I've realized that when it comes down to the predictive nature of, cap of people and their capabilities and everything, not every mind is the same. Not every, cap every person is capable of the same level of thought, you know, as you or I. Every, every one can potentially be different. Now, I do think that there's probably more similarities than there are dissimilarities, or, in put in another way, there's more outliers than there are those that are actually within the bell curve. You know, so I go by the 80-20 rule in a general sense. 80% of the population adheres to a standard standardized norm. 20% falls on the outlying areas. 10% on either area of the bell curve you know, for what's considered normal. So when it comes down to intelligence and everything, 80% falls perfectly in line. That's actually the formation of collective thought and belief systems and averages and norms and that kind of stuff. And to some degree, this is actually what's responsible for creating societal norms and culture. But occasionally that breaks. Now, occasionally um, there's problems with that, with that uh, philosophy and that uh, methodology and everything. And that's where outliers come in. Outliers toss things up, they present new ideas, new concepts, they steer the whole course of an entire civilization in different directions and everything, particularly when the civilization looks like it might be heading towards a dead end. You know, um, it, and it's not necessarily limited to those that are super intelligent, it's also, you know, it's also given to those that, uh, that are on the lower end of the bell curve, too. And it's not always predicated by war, too. You know, it could be, you know, something like the French Renaissance and everything. You know, led by somebody that was an artist. It could be somebody like, um, you know, that just flat out fucking hates war. And sits down. And doesn't do jack shit because of it. It's Gandhi. You know, it could be somebody like, you know, Hitler. Somebody who's told countless times... He's never going to be an artist, that he's horrible with what he does and everything. So instead, the guy basically ends up taking over a country and, you know, annihilating half the world. You know, and the thing I look at outliers is you got to be careful. You know, you got to take in consideration the minds, you know, that are at work here and everything. And, and not only that, but you also got to be, to some degree, supportive of the outliers. you got to understand them. you got to... Um, Maybe you can't fully understand them, though. But in any case, the temporal aspect of things, um, they're catching on, you know, in the show very quickly. And that's the whole thing for me, too, is I definitely see time, and I see some of the weird modifications and everything. Yesterday, I started noticing my head is getting really confused as I'm doing a time travel journey inside the Star Trek game and everything. And um, I, I literally, I, I, I was forgetting information really quickly. I noticed it specifically to do when I was actually jumping into an alternate dimension. And I'm getting confused about some of the people. I'm just like going, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, I'm, I'm jumping into an alternate dimension and everything um, with my character, my avatar and everything. And it's affecting me here. So, 
you know, when it comes down to it, it's just like I think uh, a part of um, understanding all of this is the, the direct and indirect relationships that go on. You know, for me, and in particular, this one, and uh, the fact that uh, that you can't help but influence the outside world around you. Um, it just, uh, it's not something that's as obvious as, you know, being able to turn the channel on a television or something like that at all times. Um, but... It is what it is. I'm just, uh, I thought it was really interesting as I'm messing around with time travel journey and everything. And, uh, you know, the, the serendipity, if you want to think about it like that, coincidence or whatever. Maybe there's external forces at work that I'm not aware of and everything, too. Who knows? But uh, all of a sudden I'm, you know, in this time travel journey in Star Trek Voyager and, and they're remembering the things, you know, that uh, the previous events and everything, they're adjusting what they do. So, in any case, oftentimes I think that humans are the long-distant evolution of the Borg, and uh, they've learned to adapt from a temporal perspective, but that's just me. So, anyways, that's about it for now. Uh, I'll be back periodically through the day. I was supposed to go to the library today, but the library automatically renewed the books. That was cool. I've got three books, that, or four books, one that I've read, um theme parks, and uh, it's by an engineer for engineers, and he didn't do a good job with the book. I was kind of disappointed with it. And uh, it was just more getting into the technical stuff and what he understands from a financial perspective on how to actually run a run a business more than it was actually uh, the creative aspect of actually how, how to create a theme park. I was looking more from a, an Imagineer perspective, and I've actually got an Imagineering book, um, but I, I want a, a book on specifically theme parks, so I, I might have to go through the Imagineering book. So, Disney Imagineers. But, oh, other than that... Could be a lazy day. I made um, Thai pork uh, peanut uh, with peanut sauce last night. It was actually pretty good. Surprisingly good. So, anyways, um, ran my missions this morning for Star Trek Online, and I learned that uh, you have to have something called a a fleet. Um, not a fleet credit. A fleet uh, module is what they refer to it as. And um, here's one of the weird things I've noticed about a lot of these online games. There's ways to get money into the economy, but there's no way to get it out. None. Zero. Zilch. You know, so you get into World of Warcraft, you can put money into Star Trek Online, um, you could put money into any number of these different games and everything, but there's absolutely no way to get money out. None. I'm not weird. I mean, the only way to get it out really is technically through, um, you know, through eBay and that kind of stuff and everything, which, you know, for me, I've actually done. So, um, I sold a, sold a couple characters that I, uh, I grind ground power leveled up and I got bored with and everything with World of Warcraft and EverQuest, both. Sold some items and weapons and everything, too. But, anyways, where a market has been uh, cornered, inevitably it sees a way to to create an exchange. That's the way I look at it. So, in any case, back to my show. And happy Sunday to you. Hey there, it's me again. A couple days worth of stuff on this one. So I had a kind of like an argument with my mom and dad this evening, with my mom, my dad especially. 
Now, I'm really beginning to question what I see, what I perceive, and everything. And uh, here's why. As I'm uh, playing my game and everything, I listen to the music, and if you've ever heard the music from the movie The Terminator, um, if it, to me, what it does is it invokes a feeling of kind of like sadness and loss and the letting go and moving on and all this other stuff and everything and just this whole hopelessness concerning situations and everything. Now, I'm always finding myself powerfully moved by music and everything but I may have even underestimated how powerfully that is. So I'm sitting here playing Star Trek Online. I started paying attention to the background music, and it, it has that same sense of... If you've ever been to Space Mountain at, uh, at um, Disneyland and everything, it's got this weird kind of like... can't call it, Mom. It's like this awe and wonderment at the same time combined with a little bit of hopelessness. You know, so as I look through and see all these different stars and everything out there throughout space and everything, I'm realizing it's just like, this is my home. You know, but um, as I'm dealing with my father and, you know, what looks to me, you know, to be problems with alcohol, he, I ended up getting confrontational with him and just, you know, I, not to the point of being violent or anything like that. I would never do that. But um, I got to the point where I just got, you know, got in his face and I got angry with him because he, what ended up happening was he ended up falling and he's on blood thinner and he was bleeding like a stuck pig all over the fucking place. He couldn't stand up straight. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I mean, I asked my mom, has he been drinking again? And it was like, I could smell it on his breath and he's having a hard time. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just like going, this... This is fucked up and everything. But I'm, I'm starting to question, is he really drinking? You know, or is this, this just my interpretation of him and his reality? And because I don't quite understand the way that he perceives the world and everything, and that he may be moving away from mine, in the eternal nature of things that the interpretation I have is one of a predictable nature that that eventually sees him letting go I don't want to believe it I guess that's what I'm trying to say I'm past the point of believing that this is alcohol he made a comment to my mom and, um, as we're, as I'm getting confrontational and everything, I'm just like, you know, I mean, when I say confrontational, I just basically mean I was yelling at him, and I'm just like, you know, this is fucked up. It's just like, he has a tendency to, well, there isn't a day goes by that uh, he's not yelling at people. Literally, a day not doesn't go by, you know, and uh, it's just, 
No, it's I I before had had come to think that uh, hey he's Klingon and I've this is the interpretation I get for my world and everything because Klingons haven't been introduced yet, you know, and that's that's just simply how he perceives the world. The world is harsh and everything, and as a result, you know, deal with everybody with a stern a stern you know stern mannerism and this is just who I am, man, brah, honor, blah blah blah, type stuff and everything. And um, the interpretation that I receive, you know, is just basically put into human form, and I get a human delivery for it. And I guess, you know, the way I'm looking at it is, I, I just, I'm starting to get to the point where I, I really do question whether or not that's an accurate portrayal of who he is. You see, I know he cares. That's the thing. I know he cares. And... But there's a, a sense of frustration with me concerning the situation. And he ended up saying this thing that kind of really took me off guard. And it, it, the, this comment that he made was, he just doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. Well, one thing I think about is, let's say you're a Down Syndrome child. But let's say you see yourself as perfectly normal. Now, everybody else looks like you, they act like you, to, for the most part, and everything, you know, and you see a world and everything that, for the most part, has some normalcy and everything. But let's say everybody looks at you and perceives you in a way that's different than, than the way that uh, you perceive yourself. You know, so, and, uh, you know, basically it's like when you look in the mirror, you know, you would think that that image of what you see, you know, is the thing that every, everybody else sees as well. But that's not necessarily the case, you know? It's like, if I'm perceived as having some kind of disorder, you know, because I don't act and think like them and everything, and maybe that's why I'm still, you know, this is the story that they've told themselves of, of why I'm still here in this household and everything, Is that, um, is that what's going on here? Is there a perception of me, of one of, of somebody that has mental disorders and everything, and they're taking care of me? And because of the fundamental differences in the way that we perceive the world and everything, they see me as mentally deficient or even retarded? I mean, I, I can't help but think that's a possibility. You know, I mean, the expectation is that I go back and I abide by the whole work-type situation. You know, and, and this this is something I'm expected to do. You know, it's just go back to work. Be, you know, be that worker bee and everything. And that's that's all you, all you really can do. Well, <laughs> so um, with that thought in mind and everything, I had a little conversation with my mom afterwards. And the conversation went something like, you know, Mom, I said, if you've got ideas, you know, as far as my work situation is concerned, because, I, I mean, nothing was said about the work, but when my dad said that, it struck a little chord in me. And uh, I'm questioning perception. You know, do, does he see the same world I'm seeing? And, and I've really questioned that a lot over the last 15 years. 
you know, and um, I, I really truly do believe he doesn't see the same world that I do. And I really truly do believe that, especially in the last four or five years, um, that the incidences of drinking um, are an interpretation that my mind uses as a crutch. And I can't shake my own mind away from that crutch to come up with better a better assessment of that situation. Now, consciously, I know, you know, I mean, I, I'm picking up on this stuff, you know, but subconsciously, there's a part of my mind, the part of my mind that, that develops the imagery that, you know, that creates the, the, you know, the vision of who I see, paints the picture of my father. It's not a collectively associated picture. It's my identity that's associated to him. The image that I've I've developed is it one and the same that uh, that he's developed for himself? I honestly don't think so. I honestly don't know, to be honest. I mean, there's quite. A, we'll put it this way. Here's an analogy. Let's say you're Neo, you're in the Matrix, and you got your head in this uh, simulation and everything. Right next to you, there's a pod, and somebody else is, is latched into this computer and everything. And right next to that's a, another person that's latched, latched into it. All of you have your eyes closed. All of you don't see the fact that you're in pods. Now, for all intents and purposes, that Matrix can isolate you at any given time into your own segment. You know, and uh, can actually isolate you into you know, your own world, perhaps, you know, so it could potentially reconstruct an entire world for everybody to participate on, or there's an alternative where it can actually create single threads, you know, of existence and everything for each individual that's actually contained within that world. Each person gets their own observational perspective and everything. They don't have to fit in like worker bees. They can be whoever they want to be. You know, if the Matrix, um, you know, what's the goal with the Matrix and everything? Does it have goals? You know, is its goal to simply create energy? You know, I don't believe so. I believe it's, I mean, to be honest, I believe that the Matrix would have been created in a benign way with the goal, the goal of actually helping people achieve their dreams. To be whatever it is they want to be. To do the things they want to do. You know, to explore, to, to expand, expand their potentials and everything, potentially to, you know, to develop that and actually become more than they, than they could have in a collectively based reality and everything. That's my sincere belief. I mean, the whole concept of the Matrix felt like it was demonized to begin with. It didn't make sense to me from a programmer's perspective and everything why somebody would believe that the Matrix wasn't anything could be anything anyone wanted it to be. But, here's the thing. It also comes with the understanding that at any given time, it's like you entering a holodeck and everything. My experience could be very, very different than yours. Maybe there's some cross-relationships that can occur and develop and everything between different slices of reality and everything. Maybe that's my dad. Does he live in my world? I sincerely don't know anymore. 
and with what happened tonight and when he ended up saying that comment I suspect that he sees a different world than I do he sees me differently than I see myself in profound ways and when I'm playing with a computer he may see me doing something entirely else he may see and hear me watching a TV. He may regard me as a deaf person. And that's why he yells. And I yell because there's a problem with the translation. There's a problem with him hearing me. I just, um... So I told my mom afterwards. I didn't tell her any sneaking suspicion about the possibilities that about the world differences and everything. I think I think she's sci-fied out with me, and most people are. But I made it clear. I said, you know, my entire life, I wanted to be, be Bill Gates wealthy. She goes, why? Why would you want that? So it doesn't matter. And she goes, well, whatever. You know, she copped an attitude real quick. I said, okay. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to actually, you know, for me it was one of those things that it, it shouldn't matter to you why I want the money. But if you're actually sincerely looking for an explanation, it's pretty simple. To me, the idea and concept of money purchases some of the things that I want to play with. You know, that yacht that I want to have custom designed and everything, and maybe participate with the designer and create a, a work of art myself. Maybe commissioning certain artists and everything, you know, to do certain things. Maybe to open up a hotel, a boutique hotel, in much the same way Richard Branson did. You know, and make it with, make it with my own ideas and concepts. Maybe to buy an existing hotel. You know, purchase a Ferrari. You know, and I've been through all this and everything, too. And she goes, well, it seems to me like you would just go back to work and everything. You know, you can still make money. I said, Mom, you're not getting it. You know, it would take a couple trillion years for me to be able to accrue that money, and I just simply don't have that time. When it comes down to it. I mean, I flat out don't. I'm not going to be able to earn that money overnight. You know, nor am I going to be able to do it in 20 years. By the time I get to that and get it, get to that point, I'll probably be, be right where I'm at right now, having erased the last 20 trillion years worth of memories and hard work that I put into it. I'm probably find myself right back here again. Going, I wish I had that money. Not understanding that the experience of having to get it and everything was what led me here. I mean, now I understand that's why I'm at where I'm at. You know, the idea of Bill Gates wealthy is effectively me. That's what got me into this position and everything. The desire, I mean, the desire has been there since I can remember. But the actual having. And the associated freedom that goes with it. 
sure it's psychological. But the freedom that's associated with having a great deal of money without debt is something that I flat out have never had in my lifetime. The money I've had has come with an obligation. Must pay back. Always comes with that obligation. I've never had true financial freedom. And part of the reason I'm at where I'm at right now is because I did realize, you know, that I'm at a point, you know, five, six years ago and everything, where the harder I work, the the less return I'm getting on the investment that I'm actually making, you know, on, on everything. And um, really when it comes down to it, it's just like, how is it, do I, do I change that? That's kind of weird. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just the thing, is that return on the investment and everything, you know, hasn't, isn't uh, going to reap any return. Not now, not in the foreseeable future and everything, just because of all the work that I put in. And not only that, but I've also got the reminder on my arm, you know, just basically saying, look, I need to do things different. You know, a little track mark of uh, attempting suicide and everything. That's my reminder, you know, don't return back to the madness of that life before that uh, really, you know, just led to this point of basically saying, the only option I'm being presented with is doing the same exact thing I was doing before. It's not an option. I need new options. Now, I've presented them to the world, but the world just flat out doesn't want to reciprocate. Instead, it just wants to present me with the same option that I've had before. Hmm. Whatever. So I play games. And I look at the realities, the reality of the picture. And I say, yeah, I can interact with other people's worlds and other people's realities. What am I not saying? What am I not understanding? It's frustrating. I do not believe that a person with Down Syndrome sees themselves with Down Syndrome. And I do not believe... And I do believe that the mind is capable of censuring information to suggest that they are. It's like I'm um, having, I don't know, Alzheimer's when you believe that your memory is fully with it. I can remember shit like I want to. From an external perspective, you may appear to have Alzheimer's. But from an internal, it's like me. I know what I remember. In case, that whole music thing, though. I'm really starting to wonder, is it influencing me in my emotions? And am I telepathically linked to the people around me to express the music? So tomorrow I'm going to try another little experiment. I'm going to listen to happy music all day. 
find things that I hope I can actually adjust that behavior. And if I am telepathically linked, who knows? We'll see. There's always an excuse for it. Always a story, right? Anyways, I'm gonna go finish some quests here. Starting to realize something. As I'm flying around, I'm in a place called the Battle Zone. Between basically the Federation and um, <laughs> everybody that's not. And uh, I heard about this thing called the Time War. Discussed in fictional concepts and everything. In more than one science fiction and fantasy oriented show and everything. And it's never really expanded on. Um, Q Continuum is at the Civil War and everything, and they never really discuss why that war is going on. And, um, the same thing holds true in, uh, I mean, it's Star Trek, and, um, basically every version of Star Trek has mentioned the Time War. And, uh, you see it listed in other shows, too. You know, it's discussed in books, you know, and all sorts of media and everything as well. And, um, it's not just restricted to Star Wars or to Star Trek, it's also Star Wars. The whole concept of the Empire versus, you know, this ongoing thing that's been just been going on and on and on. And, um, and you've got, um, Timeless, and you've got Total Recall, kind of like a fight for the mind and everything, which to some degree is a time war. Which version of reality is accurate? Um, that's another way of looking at the time war. And, um, you've got other things such as, um, Doctor Who. And then, um, oh, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, you know, with material. And it's not just, uh, not just that, but it's just like, it's, for a while there I had actually wondered what it'd be like to be a man like Daniel Pearl that goes onto the battlefield and everything, and um, you know, over over in Iraq and everything, what in somebody's right mind would actually take you to the front lines, you know, in the, for the sake of reporting and everything? I'm starting to understand. I made the same decision. Somewhere in there, I started understanding concepts of the mind and started understanding concepts of time what formulates planets and galaxies and all this stuff and everything and to some degree my mind trained me not to necessarily be afraid of it and to take the time to understand it and understand why people choose to participate in it and why they don't choose to participate in it why most feel that it is a binary choice and um, why it's not really a binary choice when it comes right down to it. Um, it just, you know, it's one of those things. It, it just is what it is. So, but what is the time war? Well, it's a war for domination of a, sing of a single central timeline. You know, it's like the, there's a saying, you know, the victors write the history. Well, with that comes the 
the ideas and concepts and everything that actually formulate those histories, that history, and uh, not only that, but the technology and and the perspectives, the senses, you know, everything creates history, you know, and creates what's important to a specific culture and everything based on what has been written in history. Those historical events, you know, reflect on the population, they alter the culture, they chronologically, um, no matter what your chronology is, have a way of dictating your worldview. Now, here's one thing I had to get over. Chronology is nothing more than a succession of events that happen in a particular order, and uh, we tend to externalize the methods of timekeeping and everything. At the same time, we internalize um, we we internalize the experiences. You know, so for instance, you know, I myself, I had I graduated in uh, 2009. You know, from with my MBA program. Um, I went to uh, Cactus High School and I graduated in 1987 and everything. Um, I saw the, the Twin Towers fall on, on TV. I didn't see it in person or everything, and I saw that happen in 2001. Um, I, you know, I went to went throughout the uh, country and I met, um, or outside the country, and I met uh, Snowden in 2000, 2003. Um, you know, I, and it's just like, you know, unremarkable people, but still noteworthy, you know, somebody that, uh, that definitely impacted my life, you know, just by their presence and everything, and he becomes a part of my, my chronology and everything. Now, you know, when I look at the outside world and I understand, you know, that the chronology for the outside world is not one and the same as the chronology that I have, you know, the events and the way things occurred for time, you know, for instance, what's documented on Wikipedia and everything of when he went to Fort Meade was not the same time that I went through Fort Meade, but I do remember, you know, the, the specifics. I mean, I was in, at Fort Meade in 2003, and I ended up passing through there, you know, from February until um, October and everything. And uh, that's when I met the guy. You know, but um, it's just, you know, the weird thing about, um, about time is it's, it's not just about war and about the machinations, you know, the devices and the, you know, the things that, uh, that are actually used to create war and create weapons and weapons of mass destruction, that kind of stuff, but it's also, and I think this is really important, it's about the story. You know, that's, that for me is, you know, I mean, Doctor Who, you know, really summed it up, you know, and uh, his belief and philosophy on weapons, you know, the most powerful weapon, you know, is the story. Well, yeah, it's, it could potentially be the most powerful weapon, but for me, as I go through this battlefield realizing I'm watching the time war, I'm feeling the confusion in my mind directly, and I'm seeing the results you know, of, of all this and everything on the people around me, you know, and the way that they're acting and thinking and, and talking and everything. You know, it's not me, you know, that's being influenced by this war. It's them. 
I'm just seeing the net effects of the changes that that are happening on a dynamic basis and everything. And it's a weird, really, really weird perspective, you know, to be in. I mean, you know, I spend a whole life being egocentric, you know, believing it's them or it's me, not them. You know, sincerely, you know, it's just like if there was something that was fucked up about the world and everything, you know, it was sincerely me. That's, I mean, or if there was something going on or something like that with my involvement, I did consider it to be me. But in this case here, I'm an observer in this war, and, and to some degree, I'm a little bit of a third-party participant with this automated ship that responds to my commands and everything, and, you know, with technology that's so fucking advanced... I'm commanding an entire spaceship and its crew, you know, and it's like a video game to me. You know, I mean, I've got 300 people whose actions are being absolutely dictated, you know, by my movements on a simple keyboard and everything. That's technology for you, you know, and that's technology of, of a distant future and everything that's actually been put in the hands of what's, a, what's effectively a child who didn't fully understand what he was doing, you know, when he started engaging with this stuff. But it's okay. You know, to some degree, that's... That's just kind of what life is. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, while Daniel Pearl stands as a, as a man, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was in Iraq, and he was, you know, at least his image was, was one used as a warning, you know, of basically, don't come over here if you're you know, a journalist, because you're not safe, you know, and, uh, more or less, they're just, uh, making it very clear that, uh, by beheading the guy, you know, it was a really morbid, you know, display of just theatrics, if you ask me, and that's the whole thing that I've realized about the story. It doesn't mean war doesn't exist. It does exist when you want it to. You know, and uh, I see this battleground, and I say, you know, is there a potential that I may really want to go to this sometime in the distant future and everything, knowing full well that I'll probably just completely lose my shit there, you know, in a, in a war to end all wars? You know, one in which everybody's fighting fucking everybody? Maybe. Maybe that's one way. You know, one way out. For me, as a way to recycle my mind. And, um, to eventually, you know, make it so where I can move on and become somebody else. It's one possibility. But it's not the the only possibility. I guess what I'm looking at right now is just basically saying, you know, the experience that I'm having with my father and everything, this isn't the, the father, and this isn't the, the experiences that I'm interested in having. Now, I see this war, but I also see it as a story. You know, I mean, sure, I definitely believe that those that are actually engaged in this thing from across time, literally across time, you know, it's like, they're all here trying to act, you know, for whatever reason that they're here. They could just be simply engaging in war, knowing that there's always war here. They 
could be doing it for fun. They could be doing it because they're trying to actually alter their own timeline. They come back here to, to make changes to their timeline from a first-person perspective and everything. Or maybe in a disassociated way like I am, to minimize the influences on their timeline to understand, understand time better, like me. It's kind of weird. You know, it's like World of Warcraft. All these things, to some degree, are just different, different mechanisms. You know, different tools, different ideas and concepts. You know, but the time war itself... It's kind of... I don't know. I never thought I'd actually be on the battleground. But I never thought that the battleground could exist on a computer screen. And that the battleground was much, much, much more than just a simply a place that you go to. And you see, you see these things over in Dachau or, or that kind of stuff as a quote-unquote reminder of it. Yeah, there's a reason for going to places like that, without hesitation. But you don't fully comprehend... Why? Why war has its justifications? Not only that, but... Why some, to why some choose to engage in it for folly? And why others choose to engage in it and be perfectly okay? with that and go there with the whole concept and idea that they could could potentially die and that's okay I don't know life's weird you know how many I mean myself in this in this game quote unquote game I've died probably no less than 10,000 times Does a piece of me die with it? Probably. I mean, I'm definitely desensitized to a lot of things that I never thought to, I was sensitive to before. But the whole concept of life and death and the time war. Time war itself is... You could take it seriously. Yeah, you know, if you want to. But I choose not to, you know? It feels better to, to regard it as just that place that you might go to if you're an immortal being. Where you just go and you lose your mind. You let it go. For me, from a detached third-person perspective, it's one I just fly around in. Now look at it. I sightsee. I take the time to understand that this could be pouring the foundation for what can potentially come in the future as a way out. It's like my doorway. Knowing that should I choose to start more, this is what it could potentially lead to. And eventually it could get to the point where 
I just completely forget about who I am. And I choose a different version, a different me, a different cue. And I become somebody else. Same mind. Different body. Different experiences. Quite likely the same or very similar perceptions. Minor alterations and maybe an, an increase in possibilities and that kind of stuff as well. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, thought I'd mention that as I'm about to get my butt handed to me.